Hey guys, today I'm with Sarah and she actually lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. We ran into each other in a unique way. And because I'm a birth worker who just asks everyone all about their birth stories, she started talking and I started thinking, I've never witnessed this story. I've never experienced it. I have never had a client, over a thousand clients have this story. You've got to hear it. It is hard to listen to, but then she tells her second birth story also. So one is hard and one is redemptive, but both are packed full of education to help you have a more informed and powerful birth experience. Thanks for being here. If you guys want to push pause and leave a review, Oh, that would mean everything to me. Thank you. Thank you for everyone who has left a review. Okay, let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. So like, let's say you're pregnant. That's why you're listening to the birth story podcast and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know. Do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions, pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition, and like we get into it. We make birth plans. We do birth visions. We listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And like at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences. How to take care of your baby. I guess what I'm getting at is if you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan? I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence, wash that anxiety away because you learned everything you needed to learn and Birth Story Academy, and you are ready to crush that birth. Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. Hi, thank you. Thanks uh, for having me. I am so excited to have you here. You guys, Sarah and I met at the pool this summer <laughs> with our kids like swimming and splashing around. If you follow me on Instagram at birth.story.academy, you'll see I posted a couple of like fun videos of the kids like all relevant to birth and asking them questions and stuff. So Sarah and I were just poolside one day and we started chatting about brewery world. <laughs> so Sarah and her partner own a very popular brewery 
in Charlotte, North Carolina. And today we're going to hear both of her birth stories. Now, trigger warning. This podcast is education through storytelling, and I don't shy away from the C word. So the first birth story ends in a cesarean section under general anesthesia. If that is your story and that is triggering for you, then skip over this episode. But if this is something that you're curious about learning, how does one end up in a C-section under general anesthesia, and this information could empower you, then Sarah and I are very excited for you to listen to this episode and her journey with our second for a VBAC, a successful VBAC, vaginal birth after a cesarean section. So thanks everybody for listening. And Sarah, tell us a little bit about your brewery. We are focused on local um, ingredients, number one, and working on the working with the community and artists and musicians. And so we like to say that we're not really just making beer, but we're kind of building a better community, if at all possible, um, by bringing a lot of people together. So we do make beer, though. Yeah, <laughs> you <tasty>. do. <laughs> and um, we actually had an apartment, you guys, right like behind slash above the brewery. And there's like yoga classes and like all this kind of fun stuff in the community. Our neighborhood actually meets at your brewery once a month um, for a neighborhood meeting. So I love what you do. I love how we met also. Um, Me too. How can listeners that right now they're like, okay, I can't drink beer, but like when I'm done with this pregnancy, like, and if I'm coming to Charlotte or I live in Charlotte, like tell us the name of the brewery and the Instagram handle. Okay. The name is Free Range Brewing and the Instagram, we have actually two locations. Um, one Instagram is Free Range Brew um, and the other is Free Range Bar. And we offer a lot of really tasty non-alcoholic options as well. They could come now if they want. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, do you do any of those CBD infused non-alcoholic drinks that we are on the rise? We do have we do have some of those. We don't make them, but we yeah. have we have some. Yeah. yeah. I've been seeing those pop up around town and I was thinking, ooh, you guys, this is not medical advice. Okay. Talk to your <laughs> midwife. Talk to your midwife or your doctor. But I'm just saying, if I happen to be pregnant right now, I might be partaking in a CBD infused non-alcoholic <laughs> beverage to just, you know, calm down some of the anxiety and the fear, you know, um, yeah. about it. Okay. Well, let's dig into your birth stories, Sarah, and we're going to start with your oldest. And um, did you want to share his name? Sure. His name is Sam. Okay. So I think this is such a great gift for Sam also as to memorialize birth stories once they're out there in podcast world, like when they're adults or they're becoming parents later, they can always come back to this episode and hear your story too. Um, maybe they wouldn't have had the opportunity. So I kind of love doing this for the kids, you know, I'm like, this yeah, is, we're building a legacy over here of storytelling. Um, so how did your pregnancy go? Was it planned? Yes, my pregnancy was planned. Okay. Um, and in general, it, it was pretty good. I mean, I had a little bit of nausea and just achiness, but I didn't have any any issues during pregnancy that I needed to seek medical help for or anything. Okay. How old were you when you conceived? I was 29. Okay. Did you have a fertility journey or was it a spontaneous pregnancy? It was a spontaneous pregnancy. Okay. At 29. Now planned, like, like we're going to have sex during this ovulation period or just kind of like not using birth control. Not using birth control. Let's see how this goes. (laughs) Okay. How long did that? Let's see how it goes. Take. It did. It, it, it took a month. <laughs> month. Okay. I, I'm grateful that also was uh, shocked and cried when I found out. <laughs> yes. I asked this story because there are, this podcast has all the stories, right? 10 year long fertility journeys. Well, oops. I didn't know I was pregnant. And then like, oops, tr- first try, you know, and yeah. each story 
comes with its own set of emotions, right? Like we, you think you're ready, but then like 14, right. 14 days later, that's surprising, you know, very surprising. <laughs> surprising. You know, I was crying and my husband was like, I thought we wanted this. And I was like, I guess. <laughs> yes. So at the time, what were your jobs at the time, 14 years ago? Oh, gosh. Um, I was a program director for a local um, arts-based nonprofit um, teaching art in the hospital here. And then um, my husband, um, he was actually bartending at a time at uh, another bar. He had been a graphic designer um, and then had the recession, took that job away. And so he was getting creative. (laughs) Okay. So you guys were sharing day and night shift then it sounds like too. Okay. This could be very helpful. I will say, I don't know where this is going in this interview, but I will say my um, sister and her husband had this story and um, it was very helpful in not having to pay for childcare. I'm not sure how helpful it was for their marriage, but you know. Yes, it it had. I mean, that was definitely the benefit of that. And then it had the definite other challenges. Yes. Of like, when do you see each other? Right. Right. Especially to have Mm -hmm. a second baby, you know, at some point. Right. Okay. So you're working these jobs. You find out that you're pregnant. Did um, your like employer at the time, like, did you disclose right away that you were pregnant or is that something you wanted to hold tight? Um, I was, I'm very bad at keeping secrets. So when I walked in some of the people that were really close to me could, could tell right away. And so I shared it with them and then I tried to hold on to it. And then about a week later, I was apparently eating food that was kind of not normal. Um, two hot dogs to be exact. And somebody was like, why are you eating two hot dogs? What are you going, what is going on? Are you pregnant or something? And then my whole face turned red and, um, so then the, everybody at work found out. And yeah. so I had to call my boss was, uh, my actual boss didn't work locally with me. So I had to call her right away and let her know. <laughs> I got it. Now, were you like previously a vegetarian and that's why like two hot dogs was weird? Or was it just like, that was like not what you normally ate for lunch? <laughs> I, I don't know. I was not a vegetarian, but I definitely like eat more like things that would be perceived healthier, I guess, than just hot dogs. And I had been on a, it was probably like the third day of the two hot dogs for lunch situation. (laughs) Cause you were eating like what you could eat and what your body like kind of. And that salt, Mm. I really wouldn't crave that salt. So, yeah. And the reason we crave salt is so that it keeps our blood pressure up. Right. So our blood, like right away, our blood volume is increasing. And if by a natural state, we have low blood pressure, like I don't even know, but I'm going to guess that like your normal blood pressure is like 90 over 60 or something, you know, and then we get pregnant and it starts to, we get those stars and we get kind of woozy and it's because our blood pressure is dropping. So our body naturally craves a tremendous amount of salt, which holds us uh, lets us retain fluid throughout our pregnancy, which then helps with not feeling as woozy and dizzy, you know, and it's, you know, you're, if you have high blood pressure, it's the opposite. You'll be craving a ton of fruit, watermelon, grapes, things that move the fluid off of your body so that your blood pressure doesn't get too high. So isn't that cool? Our bodies are, that is really cool. Our bodies yeah, are, because then I, I moved into a phase of where I literally ate a watermelon every two days. So this is is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Apparently I salt loaded at the beginning and yep. moved so on. That's cool. Use a blood pressure cuff if you want, you guys. But the biggest thing is just listen to your body and pay attention to the cravings and make sure that you have access to like nutritional food if possible. It's um <laughs> so you your pregnancy went along pretty uncomplicated. And yep. um when did you well, I'm skipping ahead because maybe you had an induction. I don't know. Did you go into spontaneous Ooh. labor? Yes and no. Um, okay. We, I had a timeline um, because I am a very structured person and my cousin was getting married and I needed to make his wedding in Philadelphia. Okay. And so um, when I hit my due date, I went to the acupuncturist and asked them to do some things that would help move it along. Um, and they did, we did that. And then I went back a week later and I said, well, that didn't work. Let's really move it along. And by the time that I left, it was like two o'clock. 
by nine o'clock that night, I was straight into um, contractions and they went really fast. And so I, I did get induced, but not by the hospital. Yes. Um, but my contractions were every like 10 minutes. And then within 30 minutes to an hour, they were three minutes apart, one minute apart. Um, so my body responded. Yes, it did. Okay. So this was around 41 weeks gestation. Yeah. Yeah. Around 41, 42, right in between. In between. Okay. So the Mm -hmm. average gestation for the first time birthing person is 41 weeks in one day. So 50% of everyone will deliver after 41 weeks in one day. 50% 50% will deliver before. So like Sarah, when a doula clients call to hire me, like literally their welcome letter, like the first thing says is like, stop, tell your whole family that they got your due date wrong and that it's eight days beyond After. what, yeah. So like, if you told everybody you're due September 1st, call them back and tell them they changed your due date to September 9th. Like, Trust me, you guys that are listening, this is like critical information. So because like Sarah in between 41 and 42 weeks, and she had to encourage it's well, you didn't have to, I guess it was a choice, but like to encourage your body, if it's ready, the encouragement will be received. So encouragement like acupuncture, drinking castor oil, having sex, having orgasms, using evening primrose oil, dates, red raspberry leaf tea. You guys know all the induction stuff, right? But like, if you're like Sarah and you just give your body a little encouragement and it receives it, it was ready. You can give your body all those things to encourage it. If it's not ready, like you weren't at 40 weeks, your body will say, no, thank you. We're not ready. (laughs) So, so the little encouragement with the acupuncture really worked for you. Okay. So you go into labor and it's every 10 minutes, but you've never been in labor before. No, this is 14 years later. This is a reason I'm asking Sarah, you guys, because you can remember it like it was yesterday. Oh yeah. So what did Mm -hmm. it feel like? Um, definitely felt at this point that we're talking about, I was more excited and just ready for it to happen. And, uh, and so it was like a little bit of like a burn, like a lower back burn is, was the beginning of it. And I was like, this is it. That Uh hurts. (laughs) But it's coming and going, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, I mean, and then it quickly changed. And when we were driving to the hospital, it was, it was that like wrapped around my whole middle, um, tight, couldn't breathe cramp feel, you know? Um, so it happened fast. Did you like, I know you said you were eating hot dogs, but you were kind of more of like a more conscious person about your nutrition in your body. Were you planning to have a medicated birth or an unmedicated birth or kind of like a wait and see attitude? Like, had you taken any birth classes to prepare? Yeah, we took some birth classes. I definitely, my mom had both my brother and I at home, home births back in the seventies and, um, with a midwife. And so I kind of wanted to do that, but then also was terrified. So I was trying to go into it as a, we'll use the hospital. I'll hold off on medication until, you know, maybe I don't want to. Um, So my goal was to do a natural birth, but I always knew that the option was to accept medication if I just was too anxious. Yeah. And it's so tempting because it's like right there. Like you're literally like, if you're at a hospital birth, I mean, like literally the epidural machine is sitting next to your bed, like saying, hello, (laughs) Yeah, you can use me whenever you want to use me. I mean, it's like, it's a really big temptation. If you aren't fully committed, I always say if someone goes into their birth and they're not fully committed, like, like how as committed as running a marathon, right? Like, you know, like you're going to cross the finish line. You're going to go, I don't even know, 26 miles or whatever. Like you're going to do it it's not going to happen. You know, you have to be like fully committed. Um, so you're two or three or four minutes apart, I guess. And you guys are headed to the hospital. Um, like what is your husband doing at this point? Like, is he like cool as a cucumber or freaking out? No, he's pretty cool under pressure. He just gets quiet. Um, and 
observant. And so he was very, you know, concerned, making sure I was comfortable, but also, you know, excited slash I've got this, you know, we've, we've got this. So, which was very good because I was probably freaking out. Yeah. And no doula was, you hadn't hired a doula to meet you at that. So, so the pressure was really on your partner, like you, you yourself and then your partner and like maybe hoping for a great labor and delivery nurse. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. So you get there, you get all checked in. So how, how does it go? Um, I mean, they checked us in and it was kind of a, a slow, once we got there, things kind of slowed down a little bit. And, um, you know, in hindsight, I would have waited, not gone straight to the hospital, but we thought this baby is coming. Um, and so things slowed down. My parents actually arrived and came and hung out in the room with us, which was nice, but also, um, hindsight, then I was worried about them (laughs) rather than worried about how, you know, what, how we were moving on. So we had a little bit of chill time, but I never like fell asleep, was never that comfortable. Um, and we had probably several hours and then a new nurse came in that unfortunately kept telling me that I was too anxious and it was never going to get better unless I did the epidural (laughs) and that my husband was not doing a good job calming me down. And so that kind of change shifted kind of the mood of the space because we were hoping for a supportive labor and delivery and it was just us in this island and uh she kind of turned it a little bit on its head for us yeah okay well Sarah I don't want you to go backwards right like I want you to like (laughs) stay forward gratitude present moment but for those listening you can ask for a new nurse right You can also hire a doula so that, you know, like we kind of, if you don't hire a doula, I always recommend having a sister, a friend, a cousin, someone who knows that their role is to advocate, support, calm, that's outside of just your partner, because we've never done this before. We don't know how anxious we're going to be. We don't know if our partners are going to like rise to the level that we need them to rise to. That's a lot of pressure, you know, it is. I will never forget like birthing mine. And I'm thinking like, Hey, I need you to be my lover, my best friend, my yeah. confidant and my doula. Like I better have a good right. birth and you better make sure, you know, a lot of pressure. I've never done it before. Yeah. I mean, like, and they're like reading books, like, um, what, you know? Right. Um, so just so much pressure. So I totally understand. But if anyone finds themselves in this situation where maybe you didn't hire a doula and you get into that birth space, like, and you don't, you and that labor and delivery nurse are not on that same page, you can fire your labor and delivery nurse and you can ask for another one. <laughs> They've gotten much better over the last 14 years. I they, say well, and so one of the saving graces is that they did a shift change. I finally gave in and was like, fine, I'll do an epidural. You're saying this is what I need. And then they did a shift change and we had the most lovely nurse. Okay, And that was the point where I did realize I was like, I could have asked you know, we could have asked for this. We, and so those are those things where afterwards you're like, okay, if I had prepared, you know, myself to know that you can change, you can change it up. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. The person that's not vibing. So, (laughs) so it was about hour 18. I mean, that's a long time to be in labor. Yeah. It's and also often it's the exhaustion, not the pain that drives or the anxiety not the pain. Right. Most people that get an epidural are not like, oh, it was the worst pain of my life. They're like, I was so tired. I just needed to sleep. My anxiety was right. under the new roof. I just needed to chill out. You know, lots of reasons to utilize interventions besides like pain management, you know? So right. it sounds like you're on that page. When the epidural went in, did yeah. you feel instant relief on both sides? This is funny. I don't actually remember feeling, I never felt fully numb, um, but my blood pressure crashed. And so, I mean, it, it got in there and did it. And I definitely lost feeling, but I have other friends that said that they felt like a little itchy or the tingle or, and I, I don't and lose that feeling. And I don't really remember it being as severe. So I, 
Yeah. I just kind of crashed and then they got my blood pressure back. And then I kind of, I did sleep a little bit at that point, you know? And yeah. so that was what Epidore helped me rest. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so we already talked about you, like, like I, not even your doula and I already knew from your diet, right. That your blood pressure was already running low. And so we can try to bolus fluids in advance of an epidural to kind of dilate the veins, right. like try to, you know, but, but essentially the, you know, there is this vasodilation vasoconstriction that will cause the blood pressure to drop with these medications. And so you try to like offset it with fluids, <laughs> but, um, like in salt yeah. fluids, you know, um, but essentially it's very normal for it to drop. If it drops so low that you're symptomatic, like, Oh, I want to throw up and I'm like, don't feel good. Sarah's like nodding. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the most commonly used drug is epinephrine. So there are a couple of different medications they can use. But, you know, I think I myself had like three doses of Epi to try to get my blood pressure to like stabilize. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, epidurals are great when they go great. But like it's really important that we know that like you can get an epidural, your blood pressure can tank and you can pass out <laughs> and have to have several doses of Epi, which isn't like the most cool thing to do to your heart, you know, right. <laughs> pumping your body full of adrenaline, essentially like to get your blood pressure back up. But eventually after a couple of doses, it'll all stabilize and your body will kind of accept these medications are in my body. And this right. is how I need to um, perform. Now you had mentioned the way you were feeling those sensations. Some people will be completely numb all the way to their toes and they can't even lift their legs. Could you lift yours? Yes. So yeah. like, I feel like I could like scoot around Move and, and stuff. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we, there's no such thing as like this walking epidural or like a light epidural. Sometimes we can convince anesthesia to turn the dosage of the epidural down, like in pushing, but typically it's a standard dose that goes in, in the United States based on height and, and uh, weight. Okay. And it kind of goes in everybody's different. Some people are going to be like numb, can't feel anything. Some are going to be numb on their left. Some are going to be numb on their right. I mean, like this poor anesthesiologist is trying to work in this like (laughs) very tiny epidural space while you're like hunched over and like magically everyone's not going to have the same experience, (laughs) right? (laughs) So yours was a little lighter. You're probably feeling a little bit more than you wanted to feel. Okay. Yeah. Did you get fully dilated with the epidural? Um, I did end up, yes, fully dilated. Okay. Um, and then act and then also pushed, got to the point of pushing. Okay. Um, yeah. And so that was actually going really well. Um, and then I I really couldn't feel the con I couldn't feel the contractions at that point, nor did I have an urgency to push, like the need to push. But I was kind of just pushing on command and just wanted the baby out. So yeah. I was, and it I it was going well. But I think because I wasn't really like dying, you know, like really feeling that urge and all that. You weren't um, giving it your all because you can't. You're like, right. I mean, it's like trying to poop. I don't know how to do this. It's (laughs) literally like, imagine if you didn't have to poop, if you were like, say you just pooped, there's no poop in there. And someone's like, go sit on the toilet and poop. You would be like, but. I can't feel any, like, I don't think I have to poop. I mean, that's like probably a terrible analogy, but like (laughs) it, you know what I'm saying? If your body isn't motivated and feeling what to do, you're like, how do you give it a hundred percent? You know, you're like, it is. Yeah. It's confusing. They were like, push. And I would push. They're like, not that much. I'm like, I don't. Okay. All right. Right. You're like, I don't, I've never done this before. I don't know how to push. You know, yeah. oh, it's so confusing. So how long did you push for? I think it was somewhere around an hour. Okay. Um, And it w- we were getting there. They could see the crown of his head and, and things like that. But then uh, the doctor had an emergency next door. And so they said, can you wait? And I was like, oh, sure. I don't know. I can stop pushing. I don't know how I'm doing the right job anyways. <laughs> and so I waited and they were like, it'll just be a couple minutes. It was it. From what I, it was closer to an hour before they got back in there. Yeah. Um, and then I pushed more, but he was stuck at that point. So he was kind of like settled in. I was also having, you know, now back labor. So 
he's kind of settled in, he's settled in a spot and he right. didn't really want to move. Uh, it's okay. So this is 14 years ago. You don't have a, you know, your husband isn't trained in spinning babies. Right. And like, no. neither is your labor and delivery nurse likely. So like from a birth worker perspective, it's like so frustrating. Cause these are, this is the story I hear a hundred times a day, right? Like mm-hmm. everyone who hires me has a similar a story that's almost similar to yours, Sarah. And then they're on their next pregnancy and they're like, Oh, I'm definitely gonna hire a doula this time. Cause I'm like, that can't happen again. You don't want to do that. Yeah. It is so frustrating. Of course, if you push, push, push a baby's head to where you're can see the top of their head and crowning, and then you abandoned it, then the baby is going to start wiggling their head and trying to figure out how to flip flop out. And you're not like, we're not helping them at all. So then they end up with, you know, their chin up, their head tilted to the side, and they're navigating the pelvis in this wonky way because honestly, we're not moving our body because we're having epidural and no one's telling us what to do. So the system really failed you there. That's not anything that you did. The system really failed you. So the doctor comes back from this emergency and what? Yeah, we tried, but not not very long when the doctor got in and he was like, yeah, I don't think this is going to work. Um, and so then it was, he said we could try forceps or C-section. And I was, I really, I've kind of heard, I was scared of forceps and, and not, you know, I just wanted them to tell me what to do. And so they knew I didn't want to have a C-section and I was like, well, are you going to do forceps? And that's not going to work either. (laughs) Like, is it going to work? I don't want to go through, put the baby through that. And if that's not going to actually work. Um, And so essentially they're like, we would prefer C-section. And at that point I was like, just get this baby out, make sure he's healthy. Like, I don't, you know, yeah. be fine. A third option with most obstetricians (laughs) who are trained to deliver babies would have been a vacuum assisted delivery. And that's wasn't presented to you (laughs) clearly. No. So that's where they put like a suction cup, like basically a little suction cup on the on that part of the head that's crowning. And then they pump the pressure and then they kind of gently pull as you push. That would have been a great option. OBGYN not to be mentioned who failed uh-huh. Sarah. <laughs> so anyway, so they, you consent to a, a cesarean section and they yes. wheel you back to the OR. And then this is when yeah. things to take a, a weird turn. Right. So I, I was having, at that point we had asked them when I, when I couldn't feel when I was pushing earlier um, and they told us to wait, I told that we asked them to back off of the epidural so I could feel. So when they came back, And so then at this point, when they were wheeling me out there, I'm flat on my back and I'm having contractions back to back and it it hurt. I mean, I was like moaning, half screaming, you know, and we get back there and I'm on the table and they're prepping everything. They told my husband to go get prepped and they would bring him right in. And I was like, I can feel, I can feel that you're touching my stomach right now. And they were like, you're just having anxiety. We don't, you know, whatever. And they were like, why are you yelling? And I was like, because I'm having contractions and it hurts really bad, especially when they laid me flat on my back. Um, And, and so I kept saying, I can feel that. And they finally, I, I think he just like pinched my belly. The screen was up. I couldn't see. And he was like, what are you feeling? I can feel you. You're touching my stomach. And so at that point we were, it was kind of, I think just too far. And they were like, okay, general anesthesia it is. And so it changed everything. Um, they made my husband stay out of the operating room. Um, and I was put under general anesthesia. They did. He, they went and told him like, you can't come in. And he talked his way in and came and hugged me before, but yeah. My so, God, you know. Were you freaking out, Sarah? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh my God. I feel like I would, I literally can't even imagine the feeling of like the lo- loss of control, you know, yeah. because at some point it switches to not, to not, is my baby okay? Right. It switches to like, am I, am I okay? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and then being alone, you know, knowing like yeah, my person that will advocate with, for me is not even going to be right here. Um, yeah. So it just changed. It went from delivery, everybody's happy holding the baby to a, cese- a cesarean. 
and a little bit different, you know, and then to nobody's, I'm not going to be awake. My husband's not going to be in here to hold the baby, you know, so it just changed. Yeah. Very fast. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) I need the audience to understand that what Sarah went through is really rare. When you have epidural anesthesia, they don't replace it. It is in the spot where it is. What they do is they just give you more epidural medication to last through the cesarean (laughs) procedure versus spinal block, right? Like if you're going to go in for like knee surgery, right, you're going to get a block. It's a different type of anesthesia and it works differently. Epidural anesthesia is usually when they, they, they bolus it and they get you prepped like usually you're completely numb and you cannot feel it. I have been a doula for 18 years. I have been to over a thousand births. I have never had a client that could feel like you felt, Sarah. (laughs) I only have one other story that I even know like this. And you probably know her, Gina Morton. (laughs) She's um, sham. She's like in our area or whatever. And (laughs) kids are probably similar ages and she has a very similar story. So it's like, even in talking to people, this doesn't, this is a very unique and rare story and super scary. And all your feelings are valid. Like all these tears that you're releasing Sarah, and it's been 14 years, like that's normal, you know? Um, So with my doula clients, I do this exercise called completing the birth. And I feel like I would love to do it with you if you want to do it. It could be really healing before we get to your next um, birth story. So essentially what I ask you to do is let's go back to that moment where you are in your birth room and you have the labor and delivery nurse that you like And your husband is right by your side and you're pushing and that head is crowning. And I want you to just in your mind, I want you to imagine that everything that you just told me, imagine for Sam that the journey didn't go that direction. And so I want you to close your eyes and I want you to just take a couple of big deep breaths in. And I want you to just really visualize yourself back in that moment in the labor room where everything was going right, right? Like you are pushing your baby out. The head is crowning. He is safe. And I want you in your power to imagine, give yourself the opportunity, take your hands right now and kind of put them down there and just imagine reaching down and two or three pushes, his head emerges, his shoulder emerges, and you pull Sam up onto your chest. And just hold space for what that feels like. And any time you need to go back and tell your 29-year-old self, I'm okay. I survived it. Sam is 14. He survived it. Just birth him over and over again. Just birth him just like that and hold him and then hold yourself, you know, and we can create a new neural pathway of healing when we envision completing the birth. You were right there. Yeah. So physically your body had a different experience, but you can continue to mentally have the completion of his birth by just telling yourself, I am safe. Sam is safe. That was 14 years ago. Everyone was okay. You know, and just kind of keep healing yourself with just give your give yourself those last few pushes. And pull them up into your arms, you know? So. Thank you. I know that you had a VBAC, which is like, I mean, Sarah, you know, 
there's something to be said for a scheduled cesarean section. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, control for you said like control. What'd you say at the beginning? You're like, I'm kind of like a timeline <laughs> control person, right. you know, scheduled. So I'm like, you know, for there's something to be said for a scheduled C-section. What, yes. what made you change directions, switch hospitals, get a doula and say, I'm going to have a VBAC? the way it all ended, you know, and with it, it was so kind of traumatic and I didn't wake up for hours and have that moment with my baby and until later. And, um, and so I kind of gathered up more strength and understanding my body and what I'm capable of and, um, decided that I wanted to do it different. I also, the C-section, because I mean, I was healing from pushing and a C-section. Um, and so I had kind of decided either I'm going to deliver this baby <laughs> vaginally, or I'm going to do a scheduled C-section. And I really, you know, and so that was my biggest concern is, oh no, I would, I'm not going to do this again. <laughs> um, but when I really kind of found some strength and I'm going to, I can do this the other way, it'll be okay. Um, got enough advisors and people around me that let me know that I could do it and my body was capable. Um, and I just needed to not go through that experience again. Yeah. If possible. How far apart are they in age? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. So, so relatively quickly, did you yeah. get pregnant again? Spontaneous kind of? Yes. Yeah. So just kind mm-hmm. of decided and then really kind of quickly got pregnant again. Yes. And it's mm-hmm. good, though, that you had the opportunity to heal from a cesarean section with that time in between, you know? Yes. Um, your risk for uterine rupture in a vaginal birth after cesarean is greater when you have a much shorter amount of time in between pregnancies. Okay. But if you have, yeah. you know, closer to two years, your body has had this opportunity to, or your uterus has really had an opportunity to heal. Mm -hmm. And we see the risk of uterine rupture um, be decreased. We as in the medical community, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Me, a witness as a birth worker. Um, So, and I'm guessing your insurance allowed you to just switch hospital systems. Yes. Um, Wait, maybe. We paid, we ended up paying so much money um, after the first one anyways, but we kind of (laughs) So yes, we were able to switch hospitals, but I did have, anyways, there were, we ended up about the same, had to pay more out of pocket for some things because we had added the doula and because we worked with the midwife. Um, But we actually ended up about the same financially for both births. Okay. How did you find your doula and your midwife? My doula was a friend of like my family. Um, And so I, we just reached out to her right away. Um, where was she two years earlier? Friend of the family. I know she was probably <laughs> not practicing yet or yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm like, I'm I think like, I felt right, like more friend, confident. Yes. Okay. I'm like friend of the family. I'm like, where was she two, two years earlier? So, yeah. so that's pretty cool. Cause you already had like that safety and security of like, okay, people we know and love know this person and trust this yes. person. Yeah. That is very important in your relationship with your doula. And then did she yes. help you find your midwife or how'd you find your midwife? I think so. I'm, I'm assuming that that she probably helped connect us. Um, and it could have been other friends. I I don't remember that detail, to be honest. Okay. So this is like 11 years ago, right? Right. Okay. Well, so, yeah, 11 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what I know about the area in which we live in is right about 11 and a half years ago. I mean, somewhere between 11 to 18 years ago, getting approval for a VBAC wasn't like standard of care. No. It was mm-hmm. like, I mean, now standard of care hands down. Like they're yeah. going to encourage you. If you've had a C-section, they're going to encourage you. Okay. To go for Great. a back. 11 years ago, not so much. So I'm assuming that you really had to go in and advocate for yourself in these appointments that this is what you wanted. Yes. Yeah, so I ended up, I began going to my old like practice. And when they were very clear that you will not have a V-back with us, we will not 
they were like, if you want to try, you can come in, but you're going to end up in a C-section. And I was like, well, that's the same story that I just experienced. That's so gross and creepy, right? It was... It was really, really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Really frustrating. I love that you and said I, frustrating you know, and I said gross. <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. Yes. I mean, there's so many things that are now I'm very glad that that's not how it was. And I was like uh, this weird person that used acupuncture and wanted to change my diet to help, you know, my body. And now that's just normal practice. But so, yeah, so we had to go. And then this, the, the doc, basically the way that I was able to do be back at the hospital we went to is that I had to have this midwife and then the way that they were able to talk to the hospital into taking me was that they set up telling the hospital she's, she attempted at home, a home birth, but needs to come in now. And so, and so then they would, you know, so they kind of assisted me getting there and getting approval essentially for the VBAC. Okay. Um, which is interesting. I was going to say, I'm like, as soon as I'm putting the timeline, I'm like, listen, I've been a doula in this city for a long time. And I'm like, this was not so easy 11 years ago. So I'm so proud of you. Like, bravo. (laughs) Bravo. I'm going to, when we're offline, I'm going to ask you for the specific names of these people. (laughs) Need to know who to hug next time I see them. (laughs) Um, okay. So now we know you're having this feedback. We've got our plan. You've got a trauma-informed birth team, right? Yeah. Meaning like they know what you've been through. They're informed. Right. You don't need to retell your story and they're there to protect you and to support you and to right. push you. Yeah. So now things I know about a VBAC back then. Yeah. It's so funny because now they're like, yeah, come on and we'll get induce you for your VBAC. Like back then, no. Oh, wow. It was like, you must go into spontaneous labor. So, yeah. um, so I'm going to ask you that question because I know with a definitiveness, you had to have gone into spontaneous labor. So when, what gestation were you? I was probably like 40 and a half weeks. Okay. Um, a little bit yeah. sooner than the first. Yeah. yeah. A little bit sooner, <laughs> but I was in no rush. I made yeah. sure that I didn't commit myself to doing anything for months after this baby was due. I was yeah. not going to put that pressure on myself. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Were you going to do acupuncture this time? No, I decided to let my body do it. A hundred percent. Just do what it needed yeah. to do in its own time. Yep. All right. Yep. Now, how did it begin? How did your labor begin? It was kind of lovely. I mean, it was just, we were just had a day where we went to Target and we were walking around and I was like, I think I might have contractions and they were kind of easy, um, the easy burning feel, you know, yeah. and we had some things that we had to do around the house. Our, our son must have, that was two and a half at the time must have not been with us that day um, because we went to Target without a toddler <laughs> while I was in labor. And and then later on the afternoon, we were um, like, I was watching my husband do some stuff, add some stuff to the house for the baby. And I was laying on the bed like, huh, yeah, this doesn't really feel that comfortable. And so then at some point in that evening, and I mean, I could look back, I don't remember what day, it must've been a day of the week where our our oldest son was at school or preschool um, because he was home later in the evening. Later in the evening, we called our doula and I said, I think I'm actually really in labor. And um, she told me to take a hot bath and it'll either stop it or get it going. And I did. And immediately I was in that bath for about two minutes and I was like, oh yeah. Yep. (laughs) This is it. No turning back now. Yeah. Um, Did she come in labor with you at home? She did. Um, we were trying to hold off just as long because it, the first one was so long uh, that I assumed that this one would be similar, but I wasn't really taking into account the whole day that I had labored while walking around and doing chores and, and all that. Yeah. You, um, you've already so been kinda, in labor for 13 hours. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> By bedtime. And, right. You know, like it's right. 13 it hours in your labor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so we did call her because I was like, I, this just feels really intense. Like, I feel like 
this baby is here, but also knowing I have a high anxiety, I didn't want to jump the gun and run over to the hospital and then have to be there for another day, you know? And so she came over and and she was like, yeah, I think it's time for you to go get checked. And I really needed that kind of encouragement because I was like, I don't know. I don't, I've never done this. I had never labored in this way. It was all very new. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, it was 10 10 30. So it was nine when I was definitely like, Oh, this is labor. And I was in, had the, the overwhelming pain where it ended up by just becoming meditative. Um, and I got in the zone. I had no idea I could get into. And my husband's perspective was that like, I was miserable in my perspective memory of that is that I was like, very peaceful, yeah. but making a lot of noise. A lot of sounds. <laughs> so. In my childbirth education classes, like in Birth Story Academy, I teach the partners like when your partner is screaming out, when she's, when she's vocal, when she's roaring, she's in her power. She's not in her pain. And it's yeah. really like nailing that home because I'll see partners just flip you know and they're just they're so scared because they're seeing you primal we're usually all we're usually all put together you know our hair is curled and our makeup is on and our cute outfit and whatever and this is like raw primal and partners are like they 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 almost aren't you know our society isn't used to seeing women birthing persons that powerful you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, I kind of think it's like the patriarchy. <laughs> That's like, oh, she's in so much pain. I'm like, hell no. She's Quiet in her down. power. <laughs> she might also be in pain, but she's in her power. <laughs> she's handling it. She's strong. She's a beast. She can do it. You yeah. Know? So you kind of went into labor crazy. land, which you didn't get into yeah. in your first, cause you had an epidural. So it sounds like you never kind of got into like that labor zone where your body no. takes over. Yeah, not at all the first time. And this time it was like, I don't remember the drive to the hospital because it was, my eyes were closed. I was in the zone. My husband remembers like every bump and, you know, <laughs> I probably made noises and all of that. But yeah, I I was there. It, like it was weird because it essentially just flew by as soon as I was able to kind of get into that place. Yeah. Okay. So now the plan was when you got to the hospital, did I get this right? That you were going to be like a air quote home birth transfer. Yeah. So we did it interesting. The hospital and the doctor's office where the midwife practice was right beside the um, hospital. So we actually went, she met us at the the office, checked to make sure, because the whole deal is if you're not exactly ready, then you can just walk around here, labor here, and then we'll take you to the hospital when it's time. And okay. we had to take an elevator. I do remember that because I had to get out of the car. I had to walk and I, to the elevator and we got up in there and got to the office and she checked me. And she was like, oh yeah, you're ready. <laughs> Were you complete? Were you 10 centimeters? Yes. Oh my oh gosh. God. She was probably freaking out. Yeah. She was probably like, yes. oh my God, we're going to have this like secret VBAC in the osp- <laughs> yeah. in the office at 11 PM when it's not even open. Oh I think God. she was afraid that I wouldn't last the parking lot, the drive through the parking lot, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So then we got to the hospital and, um, our doula met us at the hospital. She kind of followed us along the way. And then we got there and it was interesting because things definitely slowed down just from all of that transition and movement. Yeah. Um, but it still wasn't, it was an hour at the hospital, um, before I began pushing. Yeah. Because technically this is still your first vaginal birth. And so a Mm -hmm. first vaginal birth unmedicated, you can push for 30 minutes to even two hours sometimes, you know, like, so just because Mm -hmm. we get to 10 centimeters dilated, the head may not be plus two where your fear plus three, where your fetal ejection reflex is like, I gotta push right now, you know? Yeah. So So you're, but it must've been so relieved to be like, oh my gosh, I'm safe. I'm unmedicated. I'm 10 centimeters. I'm here at the hospital. Now you can just let loose. Yeah. It was, you know, it was kind of like, wow, we've, yeah, we've made it. This is it. This is happening. It's going to happen. 
Um, did the midwife yeah. stay with you or did an OBGYN come for delivery? So the midwife and OBGYN were actually a pair. And okay. so the midwife stayed and then the OB came in. There are parts of it where I was just a blur. Yeah. Like I would need to defer to no, it's to called some of those questions. Listen, it's called Laborland, Sarah. And I <laughs> I kind of like love it. I have this moment almost all my labors where like we'll have someone in the middle of the transition and they're in their power and then they're like, you know, maybe they get a little snappy with their partner and they're like, Rah! and the partner gets all sensitive and I'm like, she won't remember any of this. Like <laughs> right. let it you let it go because she won't remember it and don't remind her of that. You know what I mean? Right. (laughs) Um, the, you know, there's a saying that says that we go into labor land and that we go out into the universe and we grab our baby's soul and then we bring it back and then we birth, you know, because there is a distinct, there is labor. And then there is this weird period right in transition and right before pushing. And then when you start pushing, it's like you're wide awake again. You're like right. totally present, wide awake. You've come back. The soul is in there and you're like, you know, ready to birth, you know? So yeah. this time I'm assuming you felt the fetal ejection reflex. Yeah, I was ready. Yeah. It was time. Yeah. <laughs> so. so your body just started pushing on its own. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I Yes. It was time to go. And they had to tell me to slow down. And I was like, I mean you can try to stop <laughs> me, but, but it was hard is happening. So, what, what position were you pushing yeah. in? I did. I started in a, a bath, a tub, and then I was like, not comfortable at all. I just okay. had to get out of there. And so I, I think, I don't know. I was on the bed. The bed was on an incline and I was between like kind of hands and knees. Um, and then on my back. So I, I was I don't honestly remember which way. I think I might've been on hands and knees Okay. when he actually finally came out. But like you guys listening for VBAC, ding, 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 ding. Sarah was moving her body. Yeah. Right? And when we move our body, the babies fit. Yeah. They come. And they come. How redemptive. Did you get to reach down and kind of pull him up on your chest and hold him? think that they did yes I think that I did this is so yes so it's interesting so yes I got him and they I had him and then my blood pressure tanked again and so I had a moment where I had him for a minute and then I needed I was like trying to communicate like I might drop him um and so obviously I have some issues with my blood pressure that um (laughs) it's called being healthy low blood pressure is called being healthy (laughs) It's a good problem. You don't want to have high blood pressure, right? Like low blood pressure we can deal with with salt tabs and hydration. Yeah. And And that was, I was very dehydrated. So it's funny because I do remember this birth and I remember, but there are minutes of it where I'm like, I, I don't know. Did they hand him to me or did I grab him? I don't know. I know I had him. Right. And then I, I also know that he was beautiful and every moment I ever wanted. And then I was afraid I was going to drop him. So I (laughs) had to like get somebody else to hold him. So right after you give birth to the baby and then to the placenta and like, you know, I'll tell you this in today's world in Charlotte, North Carolina, at this hospital that I know we're talking about. So like if you're listening in Kansas, it's going to be completely different. But we have fought so hard in our community to make sure that we do not clamp and cut the cord until it stops pulsating. We don't tug and pull the placenta out. But like you know, back then they probably rushed because you're a VBAC. They may have rushed the placenta out. I asked specifically not to do that, to to not rush it. And so we waited until it stopped pulsing. Oh my God. I love this advocacy. Yeah. Sarah, it's like, I think it was probably like 15 minutes or something. It is because of you that today it's easier right? Like every single person like you that put stamps along the way, like this is why today's birthing persons have more body autonomy, right? Because repetitive actions of people asking for what they want, you know, ah, this makes me so happy. Okay. So 15 (laughs) minutes later, your placenta emerges. Yeah. And... (laughs) 
Well, then I hemorrhaged pretty badly. Okay. Um, and so that was when I really kind of I tanked. And so I think it was probably attached, you know, a little bit to my um, old C-section scar. Um, and then I used to teach at art in the hospital. And so I knew it was a problem when they were squeezing the IV bag <laughs> to try to hydrate me. And um, so it was a little, you know, scary again. Um, did you stay that, conscious that though? time? Did you stay conscious? I did. Yeah, I did stay conscious. And I really, when I saw them squeezing the bag, I said, I'm scared. Please tell me what's happening. Yeah. And they explained it. They were like, well, your blood pressure is really low. You lost a good amount of blood. We were good. The bleeding has stopped, you know? And so they, um, they informed me, which was really important for just knowing, you know, um, what was happening to my body. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I knew my baby was safe. He was, my husband had him. And so I was like, what now am I okay? And, and they, I did, I mean, I probably within 30 minutes, I probably felt way better. Okay. And like that experience didn't even happen with the hemorrhaging. Did they have to have it do a blood transfusion? They did not. I was pretty close. I probably should have advocated and asked for one. Okay. Um, it can make you I, feel better. It, it, yeah, it took me maybe a month or longer to feel have that energy yeah. that I realized later. Maybe I should have asked for the blood. <laughs> so this is really important. I'm so glad we're bringing it up. I actually hemorrhaged with my first, and that's because we like we talked about he was almost 11 pounds, and mm-hmm. um, you know, so big baby a VBAC, like, um, there's a, a, a slew of things that put us at risk for a postpartum hemorrhage, right? A, a long labor, an induction, um, a big baby, a previous hemorrhage, a VBAC, like, and there may be a couple others, but that puts you at a higher risk for having a postpartum hemorrhage. If you're borderline, <laughs> like, take the blood. Because you'll be so short of, it's like you're short of breath and you're tired because you're hemoglobin and you're iron. And like, yes, within three or four or five, six weeks, your body will bounce back and restore everything. But I'm like, man, I wish I would have taken the blood (laughs) so that I could have had more. Because then I had to go home and take care of a baby and I had no energy. So, you know, and you had two babies with this. So, yeah. or you guys encapsulate your placenta because that's another thing that can raise your iron and your hemoglobin like very quickly in your iron stores is the placenta yeah. encapsulation. So what I wanted to tell the audience, Sarah, about your story in your postpartum hemorrhage, a postpartum hemorrhage is just, is defined when you lose more than 500 mLs of blood. Now that is what you would donate at the Red Cross if you were just to go do a donation. So if you lose 650, I mean, like technically that's a hemorrhage. It's a severe hemorrhage when you're over a thousand. So I'm going to guess with your blood pressure tanking and all that, you probably lost 1200 or, you know, something like that. I have no idea. I don't know either, but I'm going to guess you were around like 1200 or something like that. If, if it was your hemoglobin was dropped so much that you almost could have had a blood transfusion, but here is how to be proactive. If you're having a VBAC two IV ports, an IV port for that fluid and an IV port for blood if you need it. Because if you start to hemorrhage, the very first thing that your body does is clamp down your veins to help you stop bleeding. How smart is our body? You know how hard it is to get an IV in your vein when it's clamped down? Very hard. So proactive care would be It sucks, y'all. Who wants an IV port in each one of their arms? No one. That's terrible. But that is something that you could consider, everyone. (laughs) So talk to you. I would recommend it. Talk to your doctor or your midwife. I'm like, yeah. I'm always like, this is not medical advice, you know? Um, Well, no, mine was I didn't have an IV because when I got in there, everything was happening so so fast. fast. They had not put one in. Ah. And then they were trying to find a vein, you know, during all of that. So I, w- I, I wish I had, cause they asked me if I wanted one. I was like, ah, do I need one? I don't know. So that's good. That's a good tip. Sarah, this is where science is ever evolving. And it's probably stories like yours that went into the data that, that now dictate these kind of recommendations, right? Now yeah. they're all about VBAC with two IV ports. Love like it. that's their pro- yeah. policy and protocol. Do you have to have it? No, but you know, 
highly recommend. Um, yeah. As a birth worker, nobody wants to see you hemorrhage and then not have access to your veins. <laughs> right. I was like, that yeah. sucks big time. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your birth stories. Thank there was you. like a ton of learning. I hope it was a little healing. Anytime we have trauma and we speak it out loud, we heal a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. So if you haven't had any healing for Sam's birth recently, like I saw you cry and I know that we, we've just moved the notch forward with letting go of some of that trauma. Um, if you were attending a baby shower today, which is like mm. 11 and 14 years later, what, <laughs> what is like a favorite product or self-care or something? What would you be giving at a baby shower today? Um, the lifesaver for us was the changing pad liners. Okay. Um, and then because, and I buy a bunch and then tell people that they should layer when they make the crib, do a sheet, a changing pad light liner and layer it up. So when in the middle of the night, the bed gets wet, you just rip off the sheet top and the, and the liner, and then you have a new set of sheets and you don't have to change sheets in the middle of the night. Brilliant. I did not do that when I was a mom. I'm like, I'm still a mom, but when I had like, baby, I was <laughs> little like ones. When, when I was a mom, when I had little ones, I did not do that. And that is brilliant because yeah, by nobody the wants to put a crib sheet on in the middle of the night. Yeah. And by the time you do that, now you're wide awake and you're like, man, yeah. might as well stay awake till the next feeding because I can't fall asleep. That's right. So that's yeah. a really good tip. Um, I will put everything for free range brewing into the show notes so that if you guys want to connect with Sarah there, you can. Um, and Sarah, I look forward to seeing you in the community and at the pool and continuing Thanks. our friendship. So thanks for being on today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go, and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan, and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. 